Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Leave It in the Locker Room with me, Charlie Green. I'd like to welcome back all returning listeners, but if you're a new listener to the series, then this is what is in store for you. Each episode, I'll be having a current or ex-sporting professional onto the podcast, and they'll be putting forward three things they would like to remove from their respective sport. It really can be anything, and the point is to give sporting professionals the opportunity to come on and speak openly about what really annoys them whilst partaking in their sport. I'll also find out, of course, how my guest is doing and have some quick-fire locker room questions as a feature to end the podcast. So lots to look forward to. So far in the series, I've had cricketer Joe Weatherly and golfer Gemma Dryberg on, but it's now time to welcome on my guest for this episode. And we, ladies and gentlemen, are travelling over the pond to the sunny shores of Miami. My guest today is a four-year letter winner at Florida International University, where he set school records for most punts and punt yards as a punter, which led to him signing a professional contract with NFL team, the Miami Dolphins. So it brings me great joy to welcome Stone Wilson onto the Leave It In The Locker Room podcast. Stone, thank you so much for coming on. And how are you doing? Doing good, brother. How you been? Yeah, I'm good, mate. It's been, been a while since we last spoke. But uh, yeah, it's good to see you based on this Zoom call, uh, even though we're obviously in very different parts of the world. So this is the first time I've had an American on the podcast. And I mean, what has life been like over there? I mean, like, are you guys in some sort of lockdown or have COVID cases and restrictions eased, meaning that you have some sort of normality back in your life? It's different in different parts of the States. You know, over in California, like I talked to my buddy out there, he's on a serious, serious lockdown, like people can't go outside, they got a curfew and everything. But here in Florida, I mean, it's kind of like as long as you're wearing a mask, then you can do anything you want. And you can, you can even go out to the bars and stuff like that. It's, I mean, as soon as you get in, like whatever, mask off, doesn't matter. I know you're a big beach fan, so you, you, you're allowed to go to the beach and do all the surfing that you want to do and get out on the boat? I'm actually going to go on the boat right after the Zoom call, so. Good to hear. So, obviously, we're not here to talk about boating. We're here to talk about your footballing career or American football career. So, I'm going to go back to the start. And how did you get into American football? And were you always a punter? I was always a punter. Actually, um, I don't think you'll talk to an American football player who's a kicker that hasn't come from a soccer background. Or football for my UK listeners, or world listeners. Football, yeah. (laughs) I'm joking, you can say soccer. I'll allow you to do that for this episode. All right, I got you. I'll watch my mouth. But I I started playing soccer at a young age. My parents got me right into sports right away. And then maybe when I was about eight, my brother was already in football. He was doing like little league stuff. And I was like, well, I'm going to give it a shot. So once I first started trying out playing football, the coach actually asked, you know, who can kick? And so I stepped up to a plate because I literally just came the day before from a soccer practice. I was like, I can kick. Easy. So that's how I kind of started my whole football career. And uh, I look back now and sometimes I wish I was stuck with football a a little longer, maybe made a career out of that. But I mean, I can't look back and, you know, regret my decision that I made because I am where I am now. Got good things going on. That is very true. So roll on to the year 2015 when you committed to Florida International University. You had a very successful college career. And I'm just going to read off some of your school records that you broke during your time at FIU. So you, most career punts, 203. Most career punt yards, 8,225. You had the highest punt average in a game. That was 52.2 yards at FAU. And then you're also the first punter in FIU history to throw a touchdown pass. So what seemed to work so well for you at FIU? And at what point in your college career did you realize that you had the ability to play in the NFL? Well, when you get as many opportunities to punt the ball 
as I did, you know, obviously those stats are only bound to be broken. You know, I mean, most punt yards, most punts, like you, you can't be on a, a good team and have that type of stat. So luckily for me, my first like two years, we kind of sucked. I'll be honest, under like a different coaching staff. But then after um, we brought Butch Davis in, you know, things started to turn around, but we still had some kinks to work out and everything. So those stats are what they are because of what we were as a team. I would say, honestly, I, I attribute a lot of my successes to the people that I was around. You know, I had a lot of really good people. I had a bunch of competition, you know, people that were just under me that were just as good as me and if not better on some days. So, I mean, that led me to play at a very high level, the highest I could play. So after your time at FIU, you then underwent sort of a roller coaster of emotions during the draft period of the NFL when you had multiple conversations with different teams and coaches. You're always on the phone to your agent. Then you find out the news you won't be going to get a pick in the draft. And then also then finding out you're going to get picked up as a free agent for the Miami Dolphins. What was your reaction to this news that you had a professional contract with the Dolphins? You know, obviously watching the draft, you know, only a certain few kickers and punters, you know, go and get drafted and stuff like that. You know, nobody really wants to take the chances of drafting a 5'10", 185-pound punter. Obviously, the last day of the draft came up and, you know, I was getting no calls or no information from my agent. And they were just, you know, hang tight, like, it'll be fine, like, no big deal. And then, like, maybe 10 picks left in the NFL draft, I get a call from my agent, and they're like, you're going to the Dolphins. I'm like, no way. I went from, you know, not thinking I was going to go anywhere. I mean, I wasn't looking to get drafted by any means, but, you know, I really didn't think, since I wasn't getting any information back from my agent, that, you know, I wasn't going anywhere. So... You know, once that phone call hit, just dropped to my knees. I was so happy that, you know, everything kind of paid off. Once you get that call and you know that you're going to a team, you know, it's kind of like a, a staple point in you know, understanding that a lot of your work, you know, finally paid off. Of course, there's still a ton more work to do when you get to the NFL team, but I felt like really like I'd completed a whole mission. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we did. But, but then it did get a little interesting, didn't it? Within yeah. weeks from signing a professional yeah. American football contract, you then found out that you're going to be cut from the team. Now, you've been very vocal on social media about your sort of training camp experience with the Dolphins, but what actually went so wrong? So when I got there, they already had a punter there that was one of the best that I've competed in, Matt Hawk. That, that dude could boot the absolute hell out of this ball. I'm, I'm telling you, he's one of the best I've seen. But when I got there, you know, obviously I did my own research and I knew that he had two years left on his contract and he had just signed. So I was kind of like already in a, like a little toss-up situation because I was like, all right, why are they bringing me in? If, you know, they got this great punter and he's still got two years left. It just didn't make sense to me. And right off the bat, it was me and this other long snapper that came in as rookies. And the special teams coach just treated us like absolute dog shit. That dude, one of the biggest dicks I've ever met in my entire life, easily. I'm, I'm going to be honest. So, I mean, like, he, he really just gave us no chance to perform, I would say. Like, it, it was always in, like, the toughest situations or, like, you know, I mean, the wind's, like, blowing one way. It's beneficial for the other punter because he's a lefty. I'm a righty. It's fucking my day up. And, like, I'm not saying that, like, you know, you got to work through adversity, of course. Given the circumstance, you got to power through it. But I proved myself. You know, I proved the fact that I can punt and I can punt at that level. But at the same time, they brought me in. They were risking nothing because, you know, they were spending only, like, a couple thousand dollars, like, every other week on me because you don't actually get paid any of your contract money until you play an actual NFL game. So, you know, people think that, Oh, like once you sign, like you automatically get that check. Well, that's how I thought it was going to be. I was just like looking at this contract. I'm like, Oh, fire. Like 
seeing all the all the zeros after after the commas, and I'm just like, yeah, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> and then like I come to find out, like I'm not getting any of that until I make the team, and you know, it's just like trying to make a team all over again. You mentioned your special team coach there with you know very fine words, and in your exit meeting with him, he said to you that he didn't think you had what it takes to make it in the NFL. How devastating was that to hear after all the work you put in throughout your life? And was that sort of moment when you decided that being a punter in the NFL might not be for you? I did take it a little bit to heart. Well, I wouldn't say take it to heart, but at the same time, I would say I, I took those words very seriously. I mean, it, it was definitely devastating to hear, only because throughout my entire life, I've been told, oh, like, you're going to make it to the league and stuff like that. I'm just like, yeah, 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 like, I, I can do this. I can do this. Like, believing in myself the entire time, like, working out, like, throughout college, like, just trying to make it to the league, just trying to get to that next level. And then, you know, I finally make it to an NFL team, and then I got the special teams coach telling me that he doesn't think that I have a, what it takes to make an NFL team or be on an NFL team. Like, okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And sadly, that was the last time you played American football, meaning you are my first guest on the podcast to be retired from a sport, which in some ways is great because now you can basically come on and say anything you want and you don't have to deal with a contact breach or pissing off your sponsors. So I think it is time to get stuck into why you've come on to the Leave in a Locker Room podcast today. And that is for you to come and put forward your claim and reasoning to why you want three certain things to be removed from your sport, American football. So the way this is going to work is one by one, Stone is going to put forward three things he would like to remove from American football. We're going to then discuss them and Stone is going to try and convince me that they should be removed from his sport. After hearing Stone's arguments, I'm then going to pick one of the three things to hypothetically remove from American football to then leave it in a locker room. So Stone, what is the first thing you would like to remove from football, please? Okay, so the first thing I would like to remove is for the offensive player to initiate contact with his head or neck. I think a lot of the problems that I've seen in the past maybe five years of football, especially when they started implementing the old targeting rule and forcible contact to the head or neck area, you know, a lot of those, well, all of the calls have been on defensive players. And a lot of the tackles that they make, there's nothing that they can do when the dude running the ball puts his head down. They can't avoid that. They'd have to completely get out of the way. You know, I mean, because if they're leading with their head, that's the only thing that you're going to hit first if you're going either at an angle or straight on with each other. I can't say remove. I would probably say, you know, maybe implement it more towards an offensive penalty. Because a lot of the problems that I've been seeing for the past maybe like five, six years is that all the forcible contact to the head or neck area, all those penalties come from the defensive players. Even though there's nothing that they can do when the runner of the ball puts his head down and the defense guy tries to tackle him. There's nothing that he can do to get out of the way. So, so. I mean, from my... From my little American football knowledge that I have, I know that, like you say, from these head-on collisions that occur, it's normally the defensive player who gets penalised and then ejected from the game, not the offensive player. Why is it that it's the defensive players that are getting penalised and not the offensive? Because a lot of the times uh, the runner of the ball is considered a defensive defenseless player. They only have one hand and stuff like that, and it's not like they can throw this hand at everything that's coming at them. You know, if you're not going to put your hand up when a 250-pound man's running at you full speed. Your hand's not going to do anything. Also, another frustration I could see with this and why maybe so many defensive players are getting ejected is because sort of technology has improved so much. We're now getting everything in super slow motion. 
uh, which is great, but also in my opinion, slow motion footage always makes sort of collisions look so much worse than they do in actual real time. Yeah, you get to see everything in detail, really. That then when a sort of a, a ref will see that in slow motion, that also might cause them to sort of eject more defensive players. And then also the other point of it that the NFL maybe wants to protect those big name players in the league who are essentially the offensive players who bring in all the money and advertising. If you look at jersey sales at the moment, the top 10 players are all offensive players. So do you think the NFL are almost trying to protect offensive players more than uh, defensive? I would definitely agree on that. I actually haven't thought of that, but I, I would definitely agree with that. And so why is it so dangerous for these offensive players to lower their head when they're about to initiate contact with a defensive player? I mean, helmet technology has come a, a long, long way in the past 30 to 50 years, like a long, long way. I mean, you should see some of these helmets. Like when, we were, when I was on the Dolphins, they actually took a mold of my head to make like the perfect insert for my helmet. Like fit my head to a T, but just sitting on top of your head. Like if you land on the top of your head, like just on the ground, like there's a high possibility that you're going to break your neck. Now, if you have, like I said, a 250 pound man coming at you, you put your head down and he hits the top of your head, there's a high possibility that you're either going to break your back and or neck. And it's, yeah. and it's happened in the past uh, couple of years. There was a Steelers player. I mean, there's a video of it. You can look it up. He, he literally was paralyzed on the field. Got hit in the head and just locked up on the ground. He couldn't even he, looking down at his legs, like he can't even move. The only thing he can move is like his hands. It's just like holding this helmet, like looking down at his feet. He's not moving at all. It was, it was terrifying, honestly. Yeah. Like for anybody that plays football, I mean, that's something that you always think about, like that possibility of breaking your neck. So scary stuff. And this is obviously a big talking point, not just in football, but also in other sports around the world, because we are now understanding how serious the effects of head injuries and concussions are, aren't we? Yeah. I don't know. What was that movie with, uh, what was it Will Smith? It was called Concussion. It's literally a, a movie focused around like the effects on the brain that concussions give. And I haven't gone one year throughout all of football my entire life where I haven't seen anybody get a concussion it's always at least one two to like six people every year yeah and obviously that's something we want to try and stop as much as we can but football is a contact sport so i feel like you're never going to eliminate it but you don't want offensive players almost initiating the possibility of making concussions more frequent right we all understand the risk and you know we always know that there's a possibility and you know as far as concussions go like you know you get hit big time and you know you're probably going to have a concussion but you know there's always a risk that you won't be able to play again because football has a rule where if you get more than three concussions then it's like the three and out like he, they don't want to take a bit yeah because they're liability really so mm -hmm. and from your experience playing, I mean, have you ever seen or heard of an offensive player being encouraged or even coached to initiate helmet contact to win a penalty for his team? Never. Never. So you don't think these players are being coached to do it? Do you think they're just like, they're doing it by mistake, these offensive players? Or, I mean, are they trying to win that penalty? I think realistically, it's just like the easiest way to hit somebody. Because when you, if, like, you got to keep your head up. Like, that's the thing that they teach you. Like, when you come in for a tackle, you keep your head up and like, don't, don't bow your neck because then it'll compress your, you know, spine. So you keep your neck up. So like the worst thing that your head can do is just go back. You throw your body into them. It's kind of easier to like keep your shoulders and put more force into the other person. Like if you keep your head down at that angle. So that's why a lot of people do it, unfortunately.
Okay, Stone, I'm going to ask the million-dollar question here. How does the NFL stop this from occurring? Because there is a rule already in place to stop this from happening, stating that if an offensive player is deemed to deliberately lower their head to initiate helmet contact, then they will be penalised. But the issue is, I guess, this rarely happens. I think they just need to start throwing flags, honestly, on offensive players that do it. You know, not so much defensive players because defensive players are always very much aware of the head and neck, you know, penalties that they could get. So I think more so we should start throwing them for offensive players that are initiating that helmet-to-helmet or head or neck area contact. So almost just more fair cooling from the referees, you would hope for. Yeah, I would say so. All right. So what is the second thing then you would like to put forward to the locker room to be removed from American football? I don't know, this one hits home for me, and not in like an emotional way, but like since I am a kicker, I'm all about my special teams. I, I love special teams, but you know what I've seen from the NFL in the past couple years is that on a kickoff, you know when they start the game, everybody's lined up and they they got the whole other team like on the other side of the field. You know they're 11 players, and we got our 11 players in our or 10 players in our kicker. A lot of the NFL uh, kickers are, you know, so powerful with their legs that they can just boot the ball out of the back of the end zone every single time where they don't have to risk the other team returning the ball for a touchdown. So I think I would like to change where they kick the ball from. So they kick it from the 35 on the opposite side of the field. I think I would like to move it back at least five yards. Because I, I think I, I did a little bit of research. Originally, they had the kickoff line at the 30. And once they moved it up to the 35, the touchback rate went up exponentially. Like There's there's percentages on it, and you can look it up. But, I mean, it, it went up so much, and it gave the return team no chance at all to ever return the ball. And just solely if the kicker just wanted to boot it out of the back of the end zone, he could. So I think I would like to move it back and, you know, make it a little bit more interesting and see uh, see the return team get some returns. So why do you think it's beneficial for them to move it to the 30-yard line? I think it would just make the game a little bit more interesting. I I feel like as of right now, kickoff is just sort of this like ambiguous like play. Like nobody really needs to watch because, you know, 95% of the time they're going to kick it out of the back of the end zone anyways. So I I just think that realistically make the game more interesting. Yeah. It's almost like from a sort of entertainment value, isn't it? Exactly. Because... You know, the more attempted kick returns there are, gives pros to the game because fans come to these games to be entertained at the end of the day, don't they? I mean, and they pay big money for it. So they want to see arguably one of the most exciting aspects of football is a kick return. They want to see that happen rather than just a touchback. Exactly. I mean, it's an interesting play. You know, one, I mean, the whole entire stadium goes nuts when a dude returns the ball for a touchdown on a kickoff. Like, to yeah. be able to get through, what is it, 20, 21 players? excluding themselves like like that's it's nuts it's a it's an insane play but i mean unfortunately you know kickers just kick it out of the back of the end zone (laughs) but yeah i totally agree because i mean the only time sort of american football will get on sort of main tv uh sport channels here in england is either with it's a super bowl or like a crazy win or it is like an unbelievable kick return so that's clearly what people like to see that draws that sort of entertainment factor to the game yeah, but you you mentioned there earlier that about so how it was on the thirty yard line. They then moved it to the thirty five yard line. I mean that was back in two thousand and eleven. The NFL did that, um, and their reasoning was in order actually to reduce kickoff returns and reduce concussions. It's one of the things we just spoke about, of course, isn't it? They made some changes um, in the past couple of years on the kickoff when it came to where the players on the kickoff team could line up. So they're only allowed to be maybe like a yard from 
where the ball is getting kicked from, like off the line. And that reduces their like speed coming off that line, coming into players that have zero momentum at all. They're just standing there. So that's one of the things that they implemented. But I think moving it up to the 35 to reduce concussions doesn't make that much sense, you know, because a kickoff is a kickoff. Like, you know, people are running, they get up at top speed and the 15, 20 yards, like that's all that it takes, you know, for these guys to get to the top speed, which is fast as hell. And they're big, dude. They're, I mean, they're moving. So, I mean, it's really not going to reduce any any chance of getting a concussion. I don't know. I just want to see a more interesting game. <laughs> I get that, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And okay. in the first year that they moved kickoffs to the 35-yard line, so after 2011, the NFL saw a 43% decrease in concussions from kickoff, which would show you back their decision to make the change, move it from the 30-yard line to the 35. Damn. Yeah, I didn't know that, set. Surely they've got a point if, if that's the sort of stat that's coming out that they're doing something right then. I mean, it's working, I guess. So I kind of just... Uh... I kind of just like contradicted my last uh, statement. Exactly. <laughs> From a punter's point of view, how does this change kickoffs for them? It doesn't. It's the same thing. All it does is really change up where they line up. Yeah. That's about it. So when you are practicing sort of these kickoffs and training, is your main aim just to kick it as far as you can or is there more to it than that? There is some strategy. But I mean, I think that a lot of the – a lot of the reason that they saw such a decrease is because, you know, returners weren't allowed to return the ball because they were just kicking out of the end zone since they moved it up. Five yards does a lot mentally for a kicker, honestly. And if, if they can kick it out of the back of the end zone every time, like we can redact back to um, the statement that I made about the percentages of like touchbacks, you know, when they moved it up. So, I mean, those, those two stats go kind of hand in hand. Like I, I believe that the concussion rate is definitely going to go down, but that's only because the ball is going through the back. And I think it also sort of decreases specialized players in the game, such as kick returnees, and then also long kickoff specialists, because now that the ball is finding itself more times and not in the end zone, resulting in a touchback, if you were an unbelievable kick returnee or you were known for having this unbelievably long sort of punt to start off a game, you're now kind of wasted talents because the game's kind of eliminated them just from this five-yard difference, wouldn't you say? Exactly. You really don't get to see anybody's like athletic ability besides a kicker, which is, you know, truly nothing special because every other kicker in the NFL can do the same thing. Okay, so what is the third thing you'd like to put forward to the locker room and remove from football, please, Stone? Well, this is a hot topic. The third thing that I would definitely like to remove from football is getting drug tested. Now, I'm not talking about like PEDs, performance enhancing drugs and stuff like that. Like, you know, steroids, not cool. Like that's, that's full blown cheating. <laughs> I'm talking about marijuana. Honestly, it, it just made no sense. Like if they only test one time a year, I guess when the tests start, you want to take a wild guess when the tests start? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. 420. <laughs> that's when the test starts every single year it's and all the players know it so all they have to do is stop smoking like two weeks before i mean their drug test eight and they're good they're chilling so would a marijuana test only take place once a year for an nfl team only once a year and it's it's around that 420 date yep unless you're on the drug test list now if you if they come and test your pee and you pee a dilute you know, because you're getting hydrated for practice, like me, you're automatically on the drug test list. There's no second chance or anything. There's nothing you can do. So, I mean, that was definitely a hot topic for me. I actually did a whole video on that on my YouTube channel. I don't know if you've seen it. No. Uh, oh, you haven't? Oh, I, I wish you would have, because 
we'd have a lot to talk about, but I'll go over it again. Um, basically what happened was when I got to the Dolphins, we had that drug test list and I knew I had nothing to worry about because I had nothing in my system. I was good. I was playing everything. All my cards right. You know, obviously I'm an NFL team. I'm not going to blow it because I failed a drug test. That would look so bad on my name. Ultimately, I ended up failing a drug test because 30 minutes before practice on a hot April day, I get a call right before practice saying, Hey, like you got a drug test, like you have an hour. I like went pissed like a little bit, like right before I was like, damn, this shit is clear as I can get. Like I was so hydrated. And then I went to go do an aft practice, hoping that I was going to dehydrate it a little bit. Same color. I was just like, no, this is going to suck. So I went in, you know, pissed in the cup and I like look at it. I'm just like, you think this is good? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. We'll see. When you, when you get drug tested, like they go in with you and they watch you piss in a fucking cup and it's just kind of like a humiliating process dude sitting there watching you piss this is awful and then you know i got a letter in my locker like a week and a half after saying that i'm on the nfl drug test list which let me tell you is an awful process you have to log into this little database thing that they have and always let them know where you are and they will find you like like you have to put in your exact address where you're going to be how long you're going to be there if you're going anywhere and they will come to your house it, i had a guy come to my house twice a week at six to eight in the morning knock on my door and ask for my piss for a good two months but why did you fail the drug test if you didn't have anything in your system because a dilute counts as a fail because if you can delight, dilute your pee then it comes up as a fail only because they think you're trying to hide something that's a joke I swear to god so basically they, they banned you they put you on this list whatever just because of your dilute piss essentially yeah i was clean i didn't have anything in my system Jeez. okay well i now see maybe why you want to see the marijuana drug test removed from the NFL yeah. <laughs> a bit. I mean, but, for a multitude of reasons, really. I mean, yeah. like, obviously, like I said before, PEDs, performance enhancing drugs, like, that's, that's no, that's, mm -hmm. you can't be doing that. But honestly, like, we can all agree that marijuana has its beneficial properties. And I know hundreds, you know, smoke weed as a therapeutic method to, like, you know, reduce the amount of pain that's going on in the body, especially NFL players, because they've been going through it for the past 10 years so i mean they take a puff every once in a while and like sets them right makes them feel good and you know it doesn't do anything performance wise it's not a performance enhancing drug it just helps them therapy wise so it's almost like a painkiller off you know just to help relieve the body that's why players you think are using it exactly and from my time in the u.s i saw that smoking marijuana for medicinal purposes or not is a very popular habit so what percentage of nfl players do you think smoke marijuana well over half I would say really? probably about 75%, give or take. I think there's a, there's a stat that you can look up for it. Did you smoke at all? When? During your sort of footballing career. Yeah. I mean, like, I've had my issues with my sciatic nerve and, like, hamstring issues. Because like, as a kicker, you got to be flexible. And when you do a repetitive motion over and over and over again, it's only a matter of time till one of your body parts gives out. And I mean, what can you do? Just take a painkiller every day? I don't want to take a pill. Like... Mm. Plus smoking's fun. I do get the point you're coming forward here with, you know, why it has beneficial aspects, you know, smoking. But I do see there is one main issue with your argument here, and that is marijuana isn't legal across all of the United States. So in 11 states, including seven of the NFL franchises, the drug is legal for any use. So that's fine. 
Medicaid. 31 of the states only allow it for medical reasons, but then there are like the Green Bay Packers and the Tennessee Titans play in states where marijuana remains entirely illegal. So this is the way I see it. I think they should just get rid of that rule entirely. You know, if they are smoking or not in a state that allows it, then, you know, that's on them if they want to get in trouble with that. But the way I see it is over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, marijuana has only become increasingly decriminalized across the states. I think on a federal level, they just decriminalized it. I think I saw like in the news the other week. You know, I mean, it's it's really only a matter of time till, you know, every state hops on board. And, you know, soon enough, like it's just going to be legal in the United States as a whole, recreation and medical. There has been some change. Some people might have been listening to you here because in March, they changed the law that if an NFL player was to test positive, they won't be suspended, but instead they'll receive like a hefty fine and then sign up to a treatment program. Were you happy with this change in March or do you think this was almost just the NFL beating around the bush? That's just beating around the bush, 100%. They don't want to get rid of it like fully because I mean, that would. Uh, I think they want to kind of regulate the change. And I think they know that the change is coming, but you know, they can't do it like go from one extreme to the other, you know? That change you, you say is coming. I mean, the NBA have said they won't be testing for marijuana this year due to unnecessary contact due to COVID. So maybe the NFL will follow NS steps and a decision is closer than you think. So you never know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see when I believe it. Well, it's got to that time where I have to pick one of these things to remove from American football and leave it in the locker room. Now, Stone, I like the points you put forward to the locker room here. And it's been very interesting to chat to you about sport, but I'm not so familiar with being from England, of course. I mean, just to let you listeners know how much I don't know about American football, I decided to support the New York Jets, who are the worst team in the NFL. So that basically sums it up. Um, but what I've decided to hypothetically remove from American football and put into the locker room is, drum roll please. I'm going to put in kickoffs from the 35-yard line so that they would go back to the 30. And my reasoning for this is because I think it's your strongest argument solely based on the entertainment factor. Uh, a fan goes to a game and spends a shed load of money at the end of the day to be entertained. And the fact that because kickoffs now take place on the 35-yard line mean touchbacks are basically becoming a norm and kick returns are becoming rarer and rarer. I think it's something I also would like to see change in the NFL because at the end of the day, it's just so exciting to see an attempted kick return and it's just such a great element of the game. Um, I know I brought up the stats of there being decreased concussions because of the change, but I think that's just obviously going to happen if you have the ball going into the end zone more times than not. As for your other arguments, marijuana, I get it's a personal one for you, but I, there's no way I could remove that from American football because it would be different rules for different teams because, you know, it's not legal in every state. So there's just no way I could do that. So that's where I feel that argument is flawed. And with initiating head contact from the offensive player to the defensive, I get why you put this forward I get why it's frustrating and it's so important because of head on injuries but I don't know how you could change this without eliminating head contact overall because there's no way you can prove that an offensive player is doing this deliberately to win a penalty and you say that players aren't being coached to do it so I don't know how you'd be able to change this in the game unless you to remove head contact completely from the game so I just don't think I can do that so I can now add kickoffs from the 35-yard line into the locker room alongside Joe Weverly's choice of man cad from cricket and Gemma Dryberg's stigma in golf clubs. So in it goes. 
And listeners, you know what's next. It's time for some locker room questions. Henna's take it away with our wonderful sponsors. Yes, you guessed it. It's Buda Vida. It's time for some locker room questions with Stone Wilson. Brought to you by Buda Vida, the activewear brand that gives back to women in sport. So if you're struggling to find a Christmas present for your other half, then head over to Buda Vida and use discount code hashtag leave it in the locker room for 30% off your order. Yes, that's right, listeners. 30% off your order using discount code hashtag leave it in the locker room with women's activewear brand Buda Vida. So there's no excuses not to smash Christmas this year thanks to Buda Vida and the Leave It in the Locker Room podcast. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year on us. Wow, Charlie, how many times do I need to say Buda Vida? Thank you, Henry. Now it's time to play our end of podcast feature locker room questions, an opportunity to find out what really went on behind the closed locker room doors of Stone's American football career. So Stone, we're going to start off with this one. Who are your go-to music artists to help pump yourself up on game day? Uh, sounds kind of cliche, but I definitely listen to a lot of Travis Scott, Young Dolph. I don't know if I if I was still playing today, I would I would say the new Kid Cudi album. That's fire. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. been a lot of traction on social media. A lot of people posting that. Okay, uh, did you have any sort of pre-match superstitions? I don't know. Like I, I definitely had to take. You know, I I definitely had like my own routine, and I feel like if I didn't do my routine. Like, it was all the way back in the hotel before game. Like, it was just simply taking a shower and just, like, going through the motions, you know, doing everything in a certain amount of time before certain events or maybe, like, 30 minutes before we had to be at a team meal before the game. You know, I, I would take my shower. I would take my time. Like, I had everything, like, planned out. And if I didn't take that shower before a game, you know, it's it's weird that you would take a shower before a football game. But, like, I, I mean, it was just something that I did every time, and I never strayed away from it. Okay. Who was the funniest person in the locker room? I think one of my old buddies. I don't, I don't think he plays anymore, but uh, his name was Ulyss. Ulyss Gillard. I mean, one of the funniest dudes ever. I, I can't really think of like a specific time where I was like, damn, this dude is the funniest kid ever. But I mean, he was just always outrageous, you know, just yelling out random shit, yelling at people, like, you know, in a funny way in the locker room, just, you know, being, lo- being a locker room good dude. Okay. Best dancer in the locker room? Probably my buddy, Malik Tyson. I mean, he, he's, he's like kind of like a long and lanky dude, but he's super muscular. Like he's got like no body fat on him, bro. Like he's got like these long ass lanky arms. So like when he's doing like that wave thing, where it just looks so smooth. And he can he's got footwork too, and he, he likes to go to a lot of like EDM fit festivals and stuff like that. So he knows how to shuffle. He's pretty clean with it. What's that big ultra in Miami? Did, did okay. he ever, did he ever venture there? Do you think? Oh, I guarantee it. <laughs> You love to see it. You love to see it. And then which fellow team member spent most time in front of the mirror in the locker room uh, by, by yourself, of course, Stone? Besides myself, I would say Austin Maloney. My, he's probably my best, he's my best buddy uh, at FIU. He, he ended up becoming my best friend after the first year. He was uh, one of our wide receivers. So I think, I think he, he definitely was full of himself. Okay. And what's been the worst moment walking back into the locker room? My last regular season game. This is actually probably the easiest thing that I could speak on because throughout my entire football career, I had never had a punt blocked before. And we were in a game against Marshall that if we were to have won, then we would have probably gone to the um, conference championship game. And they were a shit team that year. And they were not supposed to beat us like at all. And I'm kicking out of our end zone like we're already down. And I get a fucking punt blocked. (laughs) 
and they scoop it up and score it. And I'm just, I was so pissed. I was, it was the most, not humiliating, but it was just the most down I've ever been, you know, after a game. Because not only did we lose, like, as a team, but I got my first punt blocked in my last college, regular season college game of my career. I can picture that. That's a, it's a tough way to end. And then, on enlightened news, what was the best moment walking back into a locker room in your career? We were in the Bahamas for our bowl game, the last my last season, and you you know you think you know taking the entire team to Atlantis and staying in the Atlantis hotel for a whole week would be something that's awesome. But and when your whole day is filled up with meetings and shit like that, and you got to work out, you know, while you're in the Bahamas and. You know, you only get so much free time, and there's a bunch of mandatory team events that you have to go to. It kind of sucks. I'm not going to lie. Like, we didn't get to go explore the island because if you went, like, over the bridge where Atlantis at actually is, like, if you leave from that island that Atlantis is on, like, the area sucks. So, this is uh, supposed think- to be your best moment walking into the locker room, not your worst here. Oh, I know. I'm good for that. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Don't worry. So, we played a game against Toledo. Right. We're just like so down. We're like, God, like this sucks. We just want to get out of here. The game was windy as hell. It was a huge toss up. The field was just like sucked. The end zones were short. Normally they're 10 yards. The end zones were eight yards and the stands were like maybe 50 yards behind where our benches are. So it's like everybody that came to the game is like kind of there, but kind of not there. It was a tough game, but we ended up winning, and, like, that was our first bowl game that we've won in, like, 10 years or so. Can't remember what the last game was, that um, last bowl game that they won was. But honestly, that was a a good, good, good feeling for all of us, especially for the seniors because, you know, we um, we came through a long road. Like, we're going through two coaches, two coaching staff, and, you know, trying to rebuild an entire team, you know, with this new coach. And his first year he comes in, we go to a bowl game lose that one second year you know it was really just a good way to close out a career as a college football player so i mean that was probably the happiest i've been well there you have it stone thank you so much mate for coming on as my guest to leave it in the locker room it's been great chatting to you and thanks for giving me some insight into your american football career i don't want to keep you any longer from going out onto the boat into that beautiful crystal blue miami water um gotta get some sun man well yes we could definitely do some of that out here it's absolutely pissing it down at the moment here in london but yeah thank you so much for coming on mate absolutely brother and that concludes the third episode of leave it in the locker room thank you so much for stone for coming on to the podcast and of course thank you all for listening i hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you'd like to keep up to date with all the news of who will be coming on to the podcast in the future months please follow at by degree media on instagram and twitter of course please download and subscribe to leave it in the locker room on spotify apple or wherever you listen to your podcast and give the pod a cheeky five star rating it really does go a long way this will be the last episode of 2020 thankfully this year is almost over and i look forward to welcoming you all back for the next episode in 2021 how good does that sound 2020 is almost over everybody Have a lovely Christmas all, and I hope you are spoilt rotten by all the presents from our lovely sponsors, Buda Vida. And remember, if you aren't happy with what you open on Christmas morning, don't blame us.